I have struggled to prove myself into existence. Kathy Park Hong Today's episode of Vulgar Geniuses Podcast is dedicated to Soon Chung Park, Hyun Jung Grant, Soon Ka Kim, Young A. Yu, Delena Ashley Yon, Paul Andre Michaels, Xiao J. Tan, Dao Yu Feng. These names are of those who lost their lives in the horrendous terrorist attack Tuesday, March 16th in Atlanta, Georgia. We at Vulgar Geniuses condemn this hate crime. We stand alongside our brothers and sisters in the Asian American and Pacific Islander community in this never-ending battle. Are you currently looking for a bookstore that has a great selection of books? Well, Kizzy's Books and More is that bookstore. Visit www.kizzy'sbooksandmore.com to purchase your next book for our book club. Use coupon code VULGARGENIUS to receive 10% off the subtotal of your first order. Hello, everyone. How you doing? Hello from 2021. 2021 is something else. <laughs> it's starting rough. Yeah, but we're going to get through it, and um, we're going to get through it with friends. Um, today's episode, we will be talking about um, a lot of the things that have been happening recently in the news and within the last year and the years before um, we are going to talk about the recent um, terrorist act that happened in Atlanta, Georgia, um, where people were killed um, within three different um, massage spas in the city. Um, we're also going to be talking about the recent assaults that have been happening across the country mm-hmm. uh, with basically a lot of elderly people are being attacked. Right. Um, there are other people who as well, um, but all what the common thread in all of this is that these people are Asian. And so tonight, um, we are going to sit and talk about our thoughts, um, my in feelings. all of this, my your feelings, feelings, my feelings, a lot of feelings, <laughs> a lot of thoughts, a lot of feelings that need to be had. And we are joined by a very special guest Woo-hoo! and, um, I am so excited mm-hmm. because she is a friend of one of my friends. So now I get to say she's a friend because now, you know, you're on the podcast. So now you got to be my friend. So yes, here we are. <laughs> um, we have Dr. Ginger Jacobson. Is that correct? 
Yes. Yes. So Yay. Dr. Ginger Jacobson, she's earned her PhD in sociology from the University of Florida, Go Gators, with specialization in race and environmental sociology. She has taught various courses at several colleges and universities, including race and ethnicity and environmental justice. She now works as a university administrator of behavioral research support and enjoys working with a predoctoral program focused on improving the pipeline of PhDs. Ginger identifies as biracial or mixed from parents of Korean and Swedish descent. Ginger co-hosts the Squeezing Lemons podcast and will soon launch another pod in the future. She is a proud cat mom and enjoys the challenging hobby of aerial silks, which is a circus art. And I like to say that I also know that Miss Ginger loves Beyonce. And for that, she gets all the love from me. Yeah, it's kind of ridiculous. Never, not when it comes to Queen Bay. So we want to say thank you so much. Ginger, come tell me Thank you. Yes. Thanks for having me on. I'm really excited to be here and to talk with you all and to um, share the stage with <laughs> Beyonce and my virtual background, but also <laughs> both of you. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, so let's just get right on into it, shall we? Um, we woke up to news uh, last week where a man had gone in and killed um, seven people. Uh, eight, eight actually. There were eight people, and seven, seven of them were Asian women. Um, when we were trying to suss out everything about this situation and get all of the news, there was one particular uh, news report that stood out um, from Captain Jay Baker of the Cherokee County Sheriff's Office, um, who said that the young man who had gone out and, and murdered these people was pretty much fed up and kind of at the end of his rope. And yesterday was a really bad day for him. And this is what he did. Those words were a spit in the face of the Asian community. Um, it let America know that this particular issue that, that is raging like a wildfire in our country is uh seen as just just a minor issue that anything can happen any any day and so what we want to talk about i want to know particularly what you all are feeling about that situation from last week as well as all of the other issues that we've had come up uh, from the from the year that we've been going through this pandemic yeah, where to begin? Um, I think, uh, quick edit, six of the people were of Asian descent, two were white of the eight people um, that were killed, uh, seven were women. So, um, yeah, I think there's a lot of feels, of course, because this has been brewing for a long time, as you mentioned, since last year. When we started learning that the coronavirus might be here in the United States, we started to see an uptick in hate crimes and um, the organization Stop AAPI Hate started recording um, 
reports of these incidents in March of last year. And I think we're all familiar at this point that there's been over 4,000 of these um, recorded for, for just 2020. And they were not really covered uh, widely or talked about widely. And so I suppose we can talk a little bit about that. But um, I had a lot of different feelings as that was kind of going on. And then um, you know, our, our summer of reckoning, racial reckoning, if you want to call it that, was very upsetting and um, really mobilized a lot of people and organized a lot of people. But also, there was still no talk about what was happening with the Asian hate crimes and no connecting or very small amounts of discussion of how these incidents connected to issues uh, with that the Black Lives Matter is also, Black Lives Matter movement is also fighting against or or for depending on how you're framing it so yeah i think that there's a lot to talk about um i don't know if you want to talk about how you felt when you first heard the news too because for me it was exactly almost like almost exactly a week ago like in 15 minutes it'll be like exactly a week ago when i turned on the tv and usually i never see what's going on on the actual tv i just go right to hulu or netflix or something like that but it just had like the huge headline and I screamed out loud immediately. And I was like, no fucking way. You've got to be fucking kidding me because this was the first mass shooting we've had since the pandemic hit. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's another piece of the puzzle that we're, a lot of people aren't recognizing like, Oh, okay. So we're back to this again. Oh yeah. This is America. Right. Right. So um, it was like super shocking for that uh, on top of everything else. So my, when, like, as Ginger was saying, like, you know, my first feelings when I saw the news was, first of all, I was very upset, like her, but also after the feeling of being upset was tiredness. I was just tired of feeling upset. And when, when I saw the news, I was, I was basically trying to block it and block it to enter like my system because I'm like no this is not happening again no this is not against like my people Mm -hmm. and with the hate that happened when Trump was in office like the China virus the China virus I it escalated Mm -hmm. I mean it never left America but it definitely escalated so you know I think in my mind, like at some point there would there there would be something that would happen like this, but I'm hoping it wouldn't. But you know, it did. So I was trying to block everything because I don't want to deal with it. And you know, for better or for worse, um, that's not really the best coping mechanism. But I have to be real, you know, when I was I'd be talking about this kind of stuff. Cause that's what really what I wanted to do. Like, you know, like a child, like, I don't want to hear it. I, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to do nothing with it. Mm. Cause then here we go again. Like we have to like, you know, educate people, fight and this and that and talk about it. And I'm just like, I'm so fucking tired. Like just thinking about that moment, like really pisses me off. Cause then, you know, it draws back again to like being like being in square one. Like, okay. Like, Okay. Yeah. All the progress seemed to be gone. Like, but, you know. I think for for me, um, 
because you know like when i when i first heard the news i was asleep like you know like i had my phone and it kind of was like just going through it and i just kind of like put it back and down and i went back to sleep so it wasn't something that hit me until the next morning when i picked back my phone up and i'm actually like reading what it is that i that i was you know sleepily looking at the night before and I'm like, you know, here, here we go again. Like here we're having to deal with, uh, the white supremacy problem that is what our country is built on. Mm -hmm. And no matter what it is that we, what, no matter what it is that we do, no matter how many people die, that for some reason that the lesson cannot be learned. Yeah. And, you know, like, I know it moves like a, like a like a like a at snail's pace for people to get the understanding you know i think last year when we had that summer of reckoning that there was this like moment of everybody trying to you know go and actually out go out and do the work more than they had ever done before mm-hmm. but in regards to this particular issue it was something that was just like you know, casually said and ignored. And even though when the media did cover it, it wasn't covered in a way that would give respect to the people in which was being, you know, degraded on national television. And so when we find ourselves here dealing with this issue yet again, it is, you know, it's fucking frustrating. Like, it's just one of those things is like, how, how, how are we getting to this point? And I'm glad that you brought mentioned that this was the first mass shooting that we've had within this past year. Um, because, you know, like crime in general, I think it took a, it took a drop because everybody had to stay home. Mm-hmm. People were concerned. I think at that point, more concerned about their well being than their going out and committing um, crazy crimes. But now that we've gotten past whatever that is depends, depends on what kind of crime because in chicago we were having uh increase of carjackings and there was um quite a lot of violence uh gun violence but yeah certainly there was a lot generally less crime um yeah so when looking at look when looking at everything you know you're just kind of like we're back we're back into this this cycle again, and it is exhausting. What I want to know is, um, when speaking about this issue, I've seen a lot of people like on my feed who start to speak up about where they're feeling, what what they're feeling about all of this and their personal experiences, and it being the very first time that they have decided to share uh, the things that have been said to them, um, and what they've gone through is, is that something that you are seeing on your end, Ginger? Like, are you seeing more people speak up about their experiences in regards to what's, what's going on or, or have you not noticed anything? Um, I honestly, I think my feed is full of like activist pages. And so that's kind of what I see and cats mm-hmm. <laughs> to be totally transparent. So I don't see a lot of actual individuals and their stories um generally uh but i do think that there's been a lot more sharing about you know stop a pi hate um from what i've seen and talking about solidarity from the um 
other movements of color that I'm following and trying to support Asian American experiences. Uh, I do think that this is a time where a lot of people are checking or thinking about their Sinophobia. So like fears of Chinese um, empire or culture or um, economy or Chinese people. Mm-hmm. And I, I find like when I'm thinking about my feed, the first thing I think of when you ask that question is who is supporting me and who is supporting the stuff that I post. And I've honestly been extremely disappointed with what I've seen. So I am a super advocate for racial justice. I mean, I have been in the streets for Black Lives Matter since it started years ago, not just last year. And and I, I was so shocked at like how few of my friends knowing who I am and knowing what I do and how immersed I am and all of this stuff and my identity and how people perceive me and they didn't reach out. Like there was such a lack of that. So um, that was disappointing. I don't know <laughs> if you all have experienced that. Um, a couple other friends I've talked to had similar sentiments. Um, and I think that's probably because honestly, there's a lot of people really wrestling with the concept of Asian Americans not being white. Mm-hmm. And we've had this idea that Asian Americans are honorary whites in the United States. And what, but what happens, what we all know what happens with honorary whites is that you're honorary because if something were to happen, such as a disease that they could scapegoat onto the honorary white group, then you are no, you're stripped of that status. You're no longer considered um, at the top of the hierarchy. And so now that people are talking about this again in a very pointed way, um, I think some people are recognizing their own internal xenophobia or xenophobia, depending on if it's just constrained to China or Asian, East Asians in general. I also want to highlight that this is very much like an East Asian thing. Um, South Asians aren't being targeted in the same way. Um, perhaps Southeast Asians and um, uh, Pacific Islanders are, but like Asia is so huge yes. that there, like, there's so many different um, nationalities, ethnicities within each of those nationalities, languages, cultures, uh, religions, practices. So, um, and those that have been targeted often look more East Asian mm-hmm. uh, or are assumed to be Chinese. So, there's a lot of different layers to peel back. Um, I think in terms of like who is speaking out and who isn't. Uh, And for myself, I share some of my personal experience uh, on a larger platform on my social media platforms, but I don't really get into a lot of the very deep, deep seated, um, like personal racial issues that go back to like when I was in preschool. I don't really do that in my larger platform, but I do that with my closer friends. So that's kind of what I've been seeing. Um, But one more piece of that Mm -hmm. uh, as an example for people figuring out and reckoning, uh, realizing their own xenophobia, like one of my very close friends who is a person of color, we were talking when Trump started using this term China virus. And they said, yeah, but isn't that accurate? It came from China. And I'm like, you don't think it's dangerous? Like you're supposed to be so woke and like, 
you're over here like reading these uh, race racial justice readings with me and critical race theory, and then you want to say that it's okay? And also having very harmful jokes about Chinese people with me. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, how would you feel if I said that about your people and people that look like you? And there's just like no understanding and concept for like how that kind of othering might relate to people that that person, my friend loves. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, it's not just Trump. It's also the AAPI hate um, looked at the tweets of electoral candidates in October last year and found that like of the 136 tweets that either endorsed or defended the use of racist stigmatizing rhetoric such as Chinese virus or plague from China, there was millions of retweets and all of the stigmatizing tweets had come from Republican politicians. So it's uh, it's more than just Trump. It's like how he jump-started the, um, the campaign essentially against uh, East Asians and Chinese peoples as carriers of disease, which has a very long history, of course. It's amazing to me how um, it only takes, I, you know, I, we recently had a conversation with someone and they mentioned how they thought like, you know, the pandemic, everything that had happened from the, from the start of the pandemic, uh, how it was handled could have been handled better, but it wasn't his fault. It wasn't Trump's fault. And for me, you know, like I understood where they were, where they were coming from because you know, you, everybody has to be responsible of themselves and take accountability. But when you have somebody who is on that platform, who has the power that he had at that moment, there was two ways that you could have taken this conversation. And he chose right. to go way out right. in the mm -hmm. crazy land, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, and using his racist rhetoric in order to um, push an agenda that did not need to ever be pushed, which was white supremacy, right? Mm -hmm. Um, it was unnecessary and it was uncalled for and everything could have, we probably would not be more than likely would not be at 500 plus thousands of people dead mm -hmm. and now dealing with this issue um, uh, to the point where you have people who are getting, who are getting assassinated at their places of work, who cannot walk the street without fear of somebody coming and punching them in the face or slashing their face. You have all of these things that are happening right now because of how he chose to, to start mm -hmm. this, this, this phase of our lives last year. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, with that, it kind of, it continued to open up the floodgates of letting people say whatever they wanted right so you know it's like well if he said it therefore i can say it because i feel like there's some truth to what it is that he's saying and and you know maybe for them they're feeling frustrated about where everything is going and they decided they want to place blame somewhere that this mm -hmm. disease just couldn't appear from out of nowhere like you know that if somebody has to take blame for it mm -hmm. and um so with all of that like you were saying like it just it everything ballooned up and has caused this horrible problem that we need to truly face. And I want to piggyback on back on what you were talking about when you were saying you were looking to see who was standing Oof. with you during all of this, because I know that <laughs> feeling so well of like looking to your friends and you're just like, why are you quiet? 
Why yeah. haven't you said anything? Which was one of the reasons why we posted what we posted on our on our Instagram feed of like, you need to tell your people to pull up and to say something because, mm-hmm. you know, your your silence is complicit. And, mm-hmm. you know, I understand I've heard where people are like, well, you know, maybe they're donating silently to this thing and they're doing this thing silently. And I'm like, this is not time to be silent. This is the yeah. time for you to speak up and say something. Because even with like, I'm Filipino and um, like just expounding like what Ginger said about like, you know, um, you know, people checking up on you. Um, I think, I don't know if it's the culture or it's how, like, we were brought up in. It's almost kind of, like, taboo to talk about these things. That it that it's as if, like, we have to ignore it. I don't know if it was because of the colonization that happened by, you know, the Americans in the Philippines that we consider ourselves some sort of, like, white people, that we, co- we forgot that we are brown and... You know, even though like my husband is white or like my my family is white, like I am white. Um, there's this thing because I've experienced this in every place, like in almost every place that I worked at, that they see themselves some some sort of like a little bit better than other Asian people. And there's also that layer of like, I would say it racism against other Asians. Mm. And mm-hmm. that doesn't help the problem because we are supposed to be like, okay, you are, your plight is my plight, but they don't see it that way. Mm. They still, they still base it on the color of our skin, where, Mm. what school you went to, what degree do you have? Are you legal in the United States? Who's your husband? How big is your house? What car do you drive? There's Mm. so much, there's so much things, you know, that we have to look at. And the discrimination between like South Asians, East East Asians and Southeast Asians are very different um, to each other by like other cultures, like by white people. Um, We are told to hate. Yes, we are told to hate like, you know, people that might be trying to get something from us or like, you know, just like, oh, you know, because this is what propaganda or media said, like in movies and stuff. So like Mm -hmm. in the beginning, like, even I think my parents were very ignorant of like the plight of black people here in America. They didn't understand that because what they see is like, you know, white movies and like whatever media things are being portrayed. Mm -hmm. And, you know, talking about issues like this is very, very foreign to them Mm -hmm. because they didn't think that it would happen to them maybe, or it, it doesn't concern them. Mm -hmm. But people reaching out to me not very much not very much um because they think that oh yeah she'll be okay you know we have been told from a very young age that we should just like mind our own business and do our own thing and as long as you are okay then your life would be fine right like the stuff that happens in the world happens in the world anyway and you know people would die people would suffer but as long as you take care of yourself and your family you'd be you should be fine that is some sort of like Asian mentality that's very hard to overcome because you know it's an it's some it's a mentality I think that if you are if you're trying to make a life out of out of nothing in a different country you would strive to do whatever it takes to succeed and that's just like an immigrant story but um, it is unfortunate that we haven't moved on from that point mm-hmm. um, and 
yeah, the the discrimination, the layers of it, the peeling of each layer, um, would be would be would be hard because we've 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 been taught to be like that. We've been taught to hate other races, hate other cultures, so we can uplift ourselves. Whether it is taught to taught to taught to us by our our own culture or taught by colonization, um, so it's it's a lot. So when I said I was tired, this is why I'm tired because it's like I have to go down, like you know, go to the core of what it is really the the problem is. Um, yeah. The man is a the man that did to you know did kill all these people is a is an associate to the bigger problem, mm-hmm. um, but we only see that that instance, and once that instance is replaced by another instance, like every every black person that's killed in America, you know we just dig a deeper hole. Mm-hmm. Just let yeah. me ask you this because I you know your specialty is race. Yes, <laughs> um, you talk about it every day. And um, there's a saying that I that I often use: uh, all skin folk ain't kin folk, right? It's yeah. a popular saying, especially in the in the South, <laughs> meaning that people who look like you might not be standing with you in the fight for for justice for all people, right? Mm-hmm. What do you say to someone who might be experiencing experiencing that not only within their friend circle but maybe also within their family circle? Is how do you how would you suggest that that person approach that issue? Is this person this is important uh, an Asian American person? Yes. <laughs> okay, I think so. What Denny was saying relates to a lot of larger structural issues that the United States have created. Mm-hmm. And so let's see, let's see if we can cover them all real quick. <laughs> so um, <laughs> you, you've, got, you've got colonization. So the United States colonizing um, Philip, the, the Philippines and the islands as their own territories for some time until what, 1940s, I think it is. Um, and then that, rests with the Filipino community and they have a certain idea of what it is to be American because of that imperialism and the militarism that we've spread. Then when you have your own parents or other immigrants coming from the Philippines to the United States, they're bringing those ideas with them. But a very immigrant experience for all immigrants in, in the United States is to assimilate. Because the United States, as a white supremacist nation, wants people to assimilate and strip themselves of their their previous culture. This is what this is what we do mm-hmm. in the United States. I mean, this is like you know we live on a post uh, genocidal land, and that's what we did to the Native Americans, and that's what we want everyone to do when they come here is to suppress their culture as much as possible, stop speaking their language and um, just be as American as possible because then it can't be like a threat in in any way to white supremacy. And so part of that assimilation is being indoctrinated into capitalism, which is that, oh, what car do you drive? How big is your house? How much money do you make? It's those kinds of questions. It's those kinds of um, things that people are focused on and individualism, which is very American Mm -hmm. and um, super entrenched in what 
we believe. Um, so just think about yourself. Just worry about yourself. Just worry about your own family. There's a lack of communal aspects to how we can help each other um, grow, how we can unite. And of course, white supremacy doesn't want that in any way for um, issues of solidarity threatening white supremacy because there's so many more of us than there are of them. And um, I think also the issue of American exceptionalism runs super deep. So for people who are people of color in the United States, especially if you're born here and you are an American, you have that citizenship, you're told you're exceptional. You are told that you're better than everybody else in the world all the time because that's our position. We are the saviors of the world. The United States has the strongest military, the um, wealthiest economy, you know, things that were built on the backs of uh, enslaved Black people. You know, these are things that are so deeply rooted, it's hard to say where to begin. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I would say uh, for somebody who's having trouble or struggling with the issue, if they are Asian American and trying to understand and process this, um, these recent hate crimes, uh, particularly the shooting, to start with why they don't feel aligned with this cause. Because a lot of people have different reasons. And um, from what I've heard in the conversations I've been involved in is I tried to be as white as possible for as long as possible and in as many spaces and contexts as possible. And that is part of my experience for a very long time. I mean, I'm biracial, so I, I have kind of a different lens and um, experience than, than monoracial peoples. But yeah, it's, it's assimilation, right? I want to be as close to white and accepted and not viewed as different than white people. And one of my friends posted a video. He never speaks out about being Asian American. He was like, this is one of the first times I'm going to post the, something like this. And he said, um, uh, in, in his statement, I am different. Um, and I was always told I was different. And I, I want to emphasize, like, you're different in comparison to something else, right? Like, in this context, when we're talking about Asian Americans being different, like, they're not different in Asia. Like, that's, you know, it, you're <laughs> different in comparison and in relation to the white normativity in the United States. Right. And so you're not inherently different in a bad way just because you don't look white and because you don't have blonde hair or whatever it is, right? Your nose is flat. Like, <laughs> I, I feel like those are things that we are often aspiring to is like, oh, I want to look more white. I want to be more white and accepted as more white. But that has a lot to do with like immigration and um, the way that we're told to behave in order to be accepted and fly under the radar and all of those things, which is dangerous. And it's actually, um, what do you call it? Um genocidal (laughs) to totally erase your culture and not carry any of it forward because you want to be accepted by the whites because you will never be accepted by the whites in the way that you think you should be yeah many any thoughts to add to that you'll never be accepted she's right because it's um they wanted i think just speaking from like uh filipino history is like the americans 
returned to to save the Philippines from the Japanese during the World War II. So there is always that feeling of like they saved us. So they like America has always been put up in this pedestal of like they're always they would always be the good people. Every, you know, everybody like in like in my fucking neighborhood wanted to be in the United States at some point in their life. So they're like, oh, you're going there. You're, you're leaving us. But good for you because this is like a godforsaken country anyway. Hmm. Talking about the Philippines. But like as I would tell Veronica most of the time, I feel like the United States and the Philippines are just one and the same. One is just like a first world country. One is a third world country. But the issues are the same. Like it doesn't separate like the separation of the, the two the two nations are are just with money. But I can see the same problems, the same the same make you know, hatred for for everybody else. Um and unfortunately like my people have to be better at, you know, accepting that they are Asian and you know, they have been we have been under like Spanish colonialism for like 300 years and the Americans were there to replace that. And, you know, they, they established like the, go- like we have, you know, that's why we have the same kind of like go- government and like school system. It's because of all of that, you know, for better, or for worse, there's some stuff that, you know, we were, we were stripped of a lot and also gained. But the thing is like at the end of the day, um, we have to know personally where we stand in this issue um because we have to me like we have to start within ourselves acknowledging that we have a problem and we have to help ourselves and each other because we were told to hate each other from the very beginning and that hate is so hard to remove with the way that we get our news and our information about what is going on in our country. Um, We get, they give it to us, but sometimes the language that is used uh, is, is it can be decisive, divisive. It can um, be not clear on the Mm -hmm. actual problem. And knowing that how important is it for us to continue using those sources as places to get information rather than creating a space where we could, you know, make sure that the information that is getting out or finding the finding spaces where the information is exactly what it is that we need to, to hear. I mean, I think we've seen that, right? So social media has become a place where, Anybody can have a YouTube account. Anybody could have a Instagram or a Twitter handle. And I have been getting like last year, all the hate crimes that have been happening, people getting lit on fire or um, pushed or harassed or punched in the face, like all of those things. I was learning through NetShark, which is an Instagram feed that's focused on Asian issues, um, not through any mainstream like CBS ABC, NBC, any of those. So I know that for me, that's already been happening. And I'm sure for other other people too. But we do have to be careful because I don't know if you all saw the social dilemma, but it helped illuminate the issue of like the algorithms really 
polarizing us, pushing us into further polarization, because if I'm only seeing feed that reinforces my uh, perception or reinforces my um, perspective of things, then I never see how the other side understands it. So there's a little bit of a double, a lot of a double-edged sword, I would say. Um, but I still, I still understand that polarization is partly because of income inequality. It's not just because of the news that we get. So there's a lot of other factors going on, our wealth and income inequality when it is um, polarized. Uh, politically, we're also very polarized. And so we saw that um, right before the Great Recession, and we're seeing that happening now too. I'm glad um, you talked about the 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 algorithm aspect of it, because then it made me think about like not only are our social media platforms doing that, but we do it to ourselves because you know we're we're quick, i.e., me, to delete somebody or to mute their account when they have information that they have or that they're putting out and reposting on their feed that contradicts to where I'm standing, right? And, you know, it is important for us to have an understanding of what the other person is thinking, um, purely to understand how to go about correcting the issue. Um, (laughs) But it, it, it poses a problem because, you know, you have one side who thinks that they are correct and the other side who thinks that they are correct and unwilling to do the work together to get to a place where it's like, okay, we got to have a true understanding of what it is going, what's going on and how to fix it. I feel like there's also that um, we get all these different like messages and these like discourses or narratives thrown at us because I want to care for myself. I need to do some self-care. Yes. So yes. cancel and cancel and mute and cancel. Like, so th- it is really hard work, but we're not really taught how to do that work and how to have the conversation. Um, you know, the college classrooms are supposed to be places to, that we can do that, but there's often like muting of some um, perspectives or the different ways that hierarchy plays out. So like students might be just less willing to talk about something um, that might be seen as too conservative or too liberal based on whatever the the professor, they think the professor wants to hear or whatever. But like, yeah, that's a huge problem. Um, I, I think when we're talking about talking to the other side or people who don't understand, we need to really be like, am I going to waste my energy on this person? Like if I go and yes. shout at them, are they yes. going to change their mind? Or if I talk to them nicely, are they going to change their mind? Ooh. You know, there's like a, just a, a mass of people that will not change their mind no matter what is said to them. And you don't want to waste your energy on them. But then there's people that came out for the marches last summer that actually did read some books after feeling bad or whatever it was, <laughs> the white guilt hit. Um, and, they did the work. And those are the people that you want to have conversations with the people who are like on the fence or that are looking for help. Those are the ones that you can put your energy into if you have the energy to do it. Because I think it's totally respectable to say, look, I'm just going to organize in my community and with people that are already there because you could still do a lot of work Mm -hmm. with those folks too. Yeah. Yeah. I like that she highlighted the fact that, you know, you can also waste a lot of time in trying to like change the world, okay? Because I'm a, I'm about the revolution, Ginger. She knows that. 
She's Same. laughing. Burn right. it down. Build it up. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, us just trying to have conversations with certain groups of people is very exhausting. And I think, you know, you always hear this, like you have to pick your audience, right? But sometimes in issues like this, it doesn't matter who the audience is, they have to hear it. Um, but there's also a lot of resistance. And I think it takes a lot of tact and a lot of like patience on like people like, you know, like Ginger that is very knowledgeable and has has a fucking degree on this to talk to people mm-hmm. um, on the other side. Mm-hmm. But also... I but I don't want to discount people who don't have a degree in this, right? Like yes. lived experience is important too. So sharing stories, mm-hmm. um, listening to people's stories, empathizing and understanding, like those are important too. Um, experience can go a long way. So, But I want to be when I grow up. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, like it's, but it's important to see like, you know, somebody that looks like me is taking charge of a movement that it's bigger than myself because it's mm-hmm. very overwhelming to somebody that's like been told all their lives to shut up and to fly under the radar. So if she is thriving and able to do it, I think I can do it too. Um, and I think that is really important in like the conversations because if you see more people doing doing it, even though you stay silent in the background, maybe some somebody or somebody would say something in there that will move you to do something else um and then you would start with your own community and maybe that community can go bigger because mm-hmm. that's how that's how change starts it can't be just me like blah 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 and then tomorrow the world is fixed i hope so but it doesn't work that way <laughs> yeah because a lot of people who posted that that black square last year thought you know we were doing it like racism be Ooh. gone all I gotta do is put this black square up and this arm, this arm right here. <laughs> I mean, that's a lot of the, the performative allyship and the signaling people are trying to. Well, everyone else is doing, it. but it does demonstrate that people are now seeing that as the norm. Yes. Whereas before it was radical, and now it's like, oh, okay, no, I, I should really be on this side because this is the side that makes sense and this is the right side of history. That's how I perceive it. Even if people just put up a black square and that was the only thing they did all year, um, it is t- starting to signal that we have a little shift in the norm. Yeah, because even even like I was talking about before, where you're like you're looking at towards people and you're waiting for them to say something, and you know, as downplayed as it as it was when it came to that black square when that black square popped up on somebody's feet that never said anything i was like <laughs> i kind of was like huh, okay we're we're i can kind of breathe a little bit more mm-hmm. you know a better knowing like all right i know where you where you stand somewhat stand on this issue and i can probably go to you in the future and have a conversation with you about it um which then leads me to the, you know, the, the talking with people on um, like, how do you think it best to enter into conversations with people in regards to where, where they stand on certain issues? Um, I know we, 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 you hit on it a little bit before, but just the initiating the conversation of like, you know, how can we do this together? I want you to be a part, you know, where yeah. where are we in this fight? 
I think, um, can I say something quickly about the whole like clocking where everybody stands on the issue? Because I, at one point I checked myself, I'm like, is this really helpful? Like, <laughs> you know, me looking to see if this person posted something and being disappointed. Like I literally saw one of my people on their story posted a video of going to like a big box store and lifting up this massive thing of like what is it nishiki like uh sushi rice mm -hmm. like a huge bag of sushi rice and they're like lifting it up the day we heard of the murders and i'm like you're just not like okay you're gonna talk about how you're gonna eat asian rice and then not mention anything and they were a person who posted a lot about blm so i was expecting them as a white person who is woke supposedly to put i'm like this isn't healthy i need to stop and i think what i came to like understand it as is stop being disappointed um there is a uh, broad city episode i love broad city I me don't too major fan alana glasser is my um She's spirit animal and there's an episode where she does this huge thing for abby because it's their friend anniversary and it's over the top and i'm like i used to be that person and then abby's like yeah i got you something too and she's like totally forgot and then alana's like yeah okay cool and abby's like well you know are you upset and she goes not upset, just informed. <laughs> and I, feel like, I feel like that's where I am. It's like, what, am I going to get pissed at you and like jump up and down and be like, you're a shitty friend because you didn't check on me? I'm like, no, it's just like, okay, that's that's where you are. We're, we're going to come back to this. We'll circle back at some point. <laughs> I think that the conversation, um, it depends on how much energy you have, to be honest. Yes. Um, do you want to force it? Like, oh, we're not, we're talking about your cat right now, but I'm going to insert this topic. Or do you want to let it come organically? Um, I think there are ways to make it come more organically. So like, how are you doing? Like, man, I'm just having a tough time this week. I've been really upset crying at every article I've seen. And every time I read the names of the victims, I have to hold back tears. Like, this is my experience. Mm -hmm. So if, if I wanted to enter that conversation with somebody and like make them think about their position on it, that's probably where I would start is with myself mm -hmm. and then hear their reaction. And then, and then if they don't respond at all, they're just like, Oh, wow, that's hard. It's like, well, what did you think about the, like, how did you react to it? What have you been noticing? And I think that opens the conversation to see where they are. Cause you need to meet people where they are. Um, no matter how close they are to you, how many years you've known them, how woke and POC they are, <laughs> like, um, they might just not be in a place um, that you you expect them to be. So trying to understand where they're coming from to begin with. And if anybody who ha does not have like Asian friends, I'm Asian. You can if, talk to me. If if it is not invited, like don't like hunt them down and say, "Hey, can I talk to you about something? Can you be my friend? Can I take you out of coffee? Can I pick your brain about this horrific act that just happened that I'm sure you're probably upset about and really don't want to talk about?" Like, let me do that. You know, that's not what anyone no. wants. Because yeah. I know I, e, as a black person, don't want that. And I had it. I, a lot of people flooded my inbox and called my phone and wanted to, you know. And I understood where they were coming from. But 
this ain't my problem. This is y'all problem to fix, white people. <laughs> like, this is for you all to fix. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we have a, a comment from uh, Stephanie in the chat. Uh, she says that um, she posted about the Black Lives Matter movement, but can't get herself to post about this mostly because of what happened um, in her her own family's posts. Um, about how her relatives here are quickly to uh, shut her down, saying that all of her time, all of their time here, they've never experienced experienced it for themselves. Um, so that's why she has not posted it. Um, but that doesn't mean that she doesn't follow and support other accounts. Um, so like like you said, you got to meet people where they are when wherever they are in regards to all of these heavy issues. Um, that we're dealing with. I think Ginger has something to say about um, they haven't experienced it. Oh my gosh, this drives me crazy. When people say like, okay, so for example, last year I had um, a friend of mine who, okay, all right, this is a guy I was dating um, and he was black. And at one point he asked me, it must've been like May or June. And he's like, you haven't been hearing a lot about these it must have been May because it was before George Floyd was murdered. Um, I've been hearing so much about like these incidents against Asians and um, walking around on the street, people getting harassed. Have you experienced that? And I go, oh. like, he goes, because I just don't see it happening here in Chicago. And I'm like, just because you haven't seen it and just because I haven't personally experienced it as your one biracial friend like doesn't mean that it's not happening Mm -hmm. you know I used to have students that would be like I have never heard that before I'm like you are 18 years old because you have never heard of it does not mean it doesn't exist and I'm not talking about racism just anything in general it's like oh there's a garbage island floating in the middle of the ocean I've never seen it before so it must not exist like drives me crazy like what do you mean just because you've never experienced it means it doesn't exist so i think like that needs to be um kind of examined and prodded a little like okay but there are millions of people who have experienced this or there are four thousand um recorded incidents just from last year so this is definitely happening and aapi for example um is very good to include some of the quotes of like what the examples are so you can see what the story is and so it's less not just a number there's more to it um but yeah that drives me crazy uh i i haven't experienced it so therefore it's not true it also drives me crazy when it's like um well no one's died so it must not be serious I mean, before, before uh, Heather Heyer was killed at the Charlottesville rally, we knew that white supremacy was a problem and the Unite the Right rally was going to be a problem before it happened. And then she died and it was like so much more attention. I'm like, just because, you know, no one has died yet doesn't mean it's not a problem. Right. And so I think that those two things, it would be great if we could kind of interrogate those it's probably floating out there with that tree that's falling down in the forest that we don't know if it made a sound or not right (laughs) i think that's where people place place that (laughs) yeah and i um the the thing like i haven't experienced it i because i truly believe microaggressions happen everywhere it's just Mm -hmm. that if you can see it or not Mm -hmm. if you would acknowledge it because Sometimes, like, you know, in my younger, younger self, um, 
I wasn't aware of a lot of things. And at that point in time, when I, you know, reflect and examine, like, what was my life before, I'm like, oh, I was really, I was really mistreated at that point in time, but I didn't notice it mm -hmm. um, because I was just trying to get by. Mm -hmm. And I think it takes a lot of like self-examination to see that, oh, you know, it's a cycle of abuse. I'm being abused. I must recognize that I'm being abused for me to do something about the abuser or else it's just going to be like this whole circle of like just being in there without noticing it. And then you passing that on to like generations of other Asian people or friends mm -hmm. or making it the norm for like mm -hmm. other people for how they should treat Asian people. Because you just accept and accept and accept. So the change is hard for me to like, just like, oh, I should not have, I should have said something about that. Or I should have stand up for myself. Or I should have definitely went to some somebody that has more authority when that happened. But it takes, it also takes a minute even for, for an Asian person to recognize all that is happening to them. It's like you have to take out yourself just because of all, you know, the years of just, I guess, abuse and the years of just being in this space where you you were told to just say yes and never, never almost kind of like think of where you really stand. So, mm -hmm. you know, there there's a lot of videos floating of like if you ask somebody like, what are you? Are you Asian? Are you American? They identify as different things, but they're all Filipinos. That was the video. So, but they think there's something different. So, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, and that happens with a lot of ethnicities too. Where mm -hmm. I'm like, um, I think the significance of storytelling, like what you're saying, is before you didn't realize, like you were looking at it from one framework, mm -hmm. but then as you grew older and you whatever some influences mm -hmm. taught you differently, and you started to see it from a different framework. And that's what's important is like that growth. And part of part of this, like I've never seen that happen to me, can be remedied by I've read or I've heard someone else tell a story because storytelling is so powerful and it's really forces you to empathize and put yourself in the shoes of the person telling the story as opposed to just thinking about yourself. And, and then if you hear someone else's story about growth like your own, or whatever of some of these hate crime stories, then you start to understand better that, oh, an actual person experienced this. Yeah. Even though it wasn't me. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah, because that storytelling, it helps build empathy into people. You know, um, like you said, it's really, it's really important for people to share those experiences so you can stop having people say, oh, I never heard of that. I did mm -hmm. not know that that happened. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, oh, well, let me tell you something, you know, and you <laughs> and you let them know. And then that's something that sticks with them because now they know, like, they can never say that ever again because they've had an experience shared with them. Mm -hmm. So how can we solve the race problem? <laughs> I think I would like to make sure we hit on this issue of uh, Asian women in particular being targeted. Thank you for so, that up. storytelling is a central theme of critical race theory. And I know that your governor, DeSantis, is trying to get rid of critical race theory. Yes. And yes. I learned 
critical race theory in Florida. So I want to stick it to him by <laughs> emphasizing um, the intersection of race and class, uh, sorry, not race and class, race and gender, but class is also involved here as um, these women were assumed to be doing sex work. Mm. Another thing that grinds my gears is like, maybe they were sex workers, but there is no definitive, as far as I've seen so far in the news reports, mm. there's been no actual declaration 100% that yes, there was um, sex work going on at these places. Mm -hmm. And I find that highly problematic that it is automatically assumed to be yes. true. Um, because that's what the shooter assumed. I don't know what his affiliation was with those places if he patronized them before, but he assumed that those were places where sex work might happen or did happen. Um, and he tar targeted those places with Asian women as opposed to, you know, a strip club, also, lots of sex work and uh, very sexual things going on, temptation abound. Um, so it, it is very much at the intersection of these two things. And, um, you know, Kimberly Crenshaw, who mapped the margins um, in 1991 with her landmark article that, by the way, has been cited, as one source says, over 23,836 times. I'm like, holy shit. I mean, yeah, it's been around for decades, but yeah. that's a lot of attention. <laughs> but still, of all of the books that have been written, that one and her in particular. Yeah, her article is, is extremely famous. But I mean, so for example, like some of the cases that she highlights, it's like in the legal system, they have only recognized either race or gender. Um, and basically, you know, this single access framework of only talking about race discrimination, um, it reinforces like, okay, all of the race discrimination cases are either, um, class privileged blacks or black men. Mm -hmm. And then the sex discrimination cases are focusing on race and class privileged women. So, um, they are white, uh, women that are most likely middle to upper class. And, and so it's like all the men are black, all the women are white. Um, I think the, there's a book that's like, but some of us are brave. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, yeah. Um, and so like the only those would be like the protected classes under some of these lawsuits. So like, for example, I would just love to, to throw out this example. So, you know, um, what this is all about. Um, the De Graffenreid versus General Motors of 1976, five black women alleged that General Motors employers, they systemically perpetuated effects of past discrimination against black women. Um, so the issue was that GM did not hire black women before 1964 and all the black women hired after 1970 had lost their jobs because of uh, the recession and there was a seniority based layoff. And so they're like, okay, well, you basically only laid off black women. And the court said, well, we hired white female employees, so there couldn't be any sex discrimination. Mm -hmm. And the court also suggested that the suit was specifically on behalf of black women, both race and gender. Um, and so because they had this caveat that they had hired white women, they had to throw out the case and it didn't stand against um, Title VII, which was the um, Civil Rights Act uh, that you cannot break, you cannot discriminate based on race, sex, religion, national origin, all of those things. So it's this idea that like you can 
file these suits and against one or the other, but you can't have this intersection of race and gender. Mm-hmm. And I, this is totally playing out right now. And I can't stop thinking about how similar it is to this case from, <clears throat> excuse me, 1976 yes. of like, okay, you can either be one or the other. So I, I just want to make sure that we highlight like, there's a very specific Asian American woman, sorry. Yeah. Asian American female experience that is different than Asian American men, that is different than white women, uh, black women, and all of that. And it has to do with the things that you all have already said, imperialism, militarism, immigration, all of that. I got into a recent discussion uh, (laughs) back and forth uh, with a friend of mine who, when I posted the the posts, um, the day, the day we heard the news, um, when I was telling people that they needed to say something, do something, um, he was like, and I'm paraphrasing that Asians, that Asians finally understand what it's like to be black in America because this is happening. And he wishes that his, um, Latino people would would also get it together on that. So I'm paraphrasing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I quite, I had to quickly gather him <laughs> and let him know that, um, that this was, this was not a time for us to be, you know, drawing lines in the sand as to where we stood um, in regards to oppression. Like this was the oppression Olympics that this was the time that we we stand in solidarity with our with our Asian brothers and sisters on the, on what was going on in our country. And um I told him that though we are all dealing with white supremacy, right? This I- ideology, these this racist rhetoric that we're constantly hearing, that our experiences run parallel, they run perpendicular to each other. So there are those moments where we we're we're right there with you. And then mm-hmm. those experiences happen and we're like we've never had that happen to us, but we cannot say that that does not exist when it comes to mm-hmm. when in regards to how racism plays out within brown and black people. So, you know, I think it is really necessary for us to have an understanding when you're talking about um how race and gender and all of those things cross each other um how important it is to acknowledge that because it all it all happens differently as you just so well explained so thank you thank you for that yeah and you know instead of us pointing fingers at each other maybe it's time to realize that we do have very similar experiences Mm. and maybe you know it is it is time for you know, to knock those walls of white supremacy down. Because it's like, if we just, if we keep on pulling each other down, they're succeeding because that's what they've always wanted for us mm-hmm. to do. Um, mm-hmm. But it, you know, it also takes a lot of work internally, you know, within yourselves and then within your community. So it's always easier said than done. And um, just going back to like the female Asian women, like the we, the women, the Asian women, um, we we are almost at the bottom of the totem pole, in like almost like being regarded as humans. So, 
I, it, it took a lot for me to be able to like assert myself in a certain way that is acceptable in white America. Um, and just going back to all the killings and the deaths of these, of these people, um, I think when I finally let it come into me, um, it's when like I said to myself, this could have been me because it, I think that that's why I was blocking it for so long because hmm. I knew that, you know, she could have been me and that's when, you know, the, the, the conversations within, within yourself and within like other people happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so with, with all of this, um, we don't want to take too much more of your time. Miss Ginger. Oh, I could talk about this all night. Oh, uh, <laughs> me too. I mean, hey, this can be the, uh, the after party special. Yeah. Oh yeah. Of the podcast. <laughs> I'll make sure the motel lobby. All right, let's get it. Yeah. I, <laughs> I think I don't I don't know who I would say is at the bottom of the social hierarchy because I feel like it changes based on context. It's ever changing. Racism is um, so awesome because it's like immutable and it just like will always be there and will change with the times and it's dynamic as can be. And yeah, I think um, a quote that I kept thinking about was Steven Yen, where he's an actor. If you don't know him, he was on The Walking Dead. Who doesn't know him? Um, Yeah, but he said, sometimes I wonder if the Asian American experience is like when you're thinking about everyone else, but nobody else is thinking about you. Yes. And that's kind of how I felt when people weren't reaching out. I'm like, are you kidding? Like, I've been there for you. And, you know, we're, we're fighting for this together. And then all of a sudden it's against Asian Americans. And now you're not silence but I will say I did have two friends specifically reach out to me and they were both black and um so (laughs) I love the black and yellow solidarity you know that's my faves but yeah I I also feel like um the the work really does start within yourself Amy Tan once said isn't hate merely the result of wounded love Hmm. and Amy Tan you know, you, you start to hate because you some some kind of hurt within you uh, exists and you can't get past that. And so I respect like you have so much pain. You can't think outside of your community, community and your issues like, OK, cool. But you should actually recognize that this other thing is a problem, whether you support it and go out and work against it or not is up to you and your energy. But um I do think like it all starts within and if we can start to like help push people to reflect, then that's really all that we can do um, for some people. Yeah. I think that's the, that's the biggest part. Uh, There's a writer named Heather McGee who wrote a, a a book called the sum of us. Mm -hmm. Um, I haven't read it yet. It's on my list, (laughs) but uh, I heard an interview (laughs) with her and, you know, talking about the book and, it it is basically talking about how we cannot get past the race problem that we have in this country by ourselves that we have to do it with white people and white people have to do it with us and then they have to acknowledge what the what the problem is and understand that it takes both of us in order for us to um turn it over and mm-hmm. one of the prime examples that she talked about was that of um 
before the civil rights bill passed to be mm-hmm. able to go to college you know if you were white it was easy it was cheap pell grants were mm-hmm. you know flowing like the river jordan like it was just everywhere everybody could go to school no only white people for some time only white people but when only i say men, everybody that's who i'm specifically <laughs> talking about so when the civil rights bill was was you know passed there was a humongous cut in the uh, the um the money that was used to help people go to school and other resources that they were just like you know what we're just not going to we're not going to do it right mm-hmm. so you know like in regards to that example and then there was an example of um I think it was in Georgia. I might be getting the, the wrong state, but there was a, a a community poll that was designated for white people only. And when it was like the law was changed that, you know, segregation was no longer a thing, that they decided that not only were they going to close the pool, but that they were going to fill it with concrete so that nobody could use it. And so, you know, it shows you the levels of where that hate can take a group of people. And it's like, you know, we could easily overturn this, right? If you just chose to to work with us. Um, so I think- but I love that example too, because it shows how racism hurts everybody. Mm-hmm. So like, if you know the history behind tipping in the United States, it was originally supposed to just harm um, people who are black in the United States, but then- we still have it today and it harms anybody who's a server. Um, and also, if you know the history behind the bubonic plague scare in um, California, that was originally considered a disease of Asians. Mm-hmm. So then no other people had to worry about it, but the disease spread because it was being spread through rats and not people. Like yes. everybody missed out on that opportunity to keep people safe because it was blamed on one group of people. But meanwhile, people who aren't Asian were getting sick. So like, yeah, there's all sorts of instances where racism against one group harms other groups also. It's just not um, as clear immediately for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Um, So I guess that brings us towards the end of our our discussion this evening. And then to my question, I'm going to ask it again. How do we solve the race problem? Well, I, th- I think we had a really robust discussion, and we all just solved racism. So. I think we did it. No, oh, my bad. <laughs> Let's go. See what would Oprah say to all of this? <laughs> She'd be like, "Yes, <laughs> we did it." <laughs> um, I just want to say thank you for being a part of this. 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 this I can't get my words out. Being a part of this discussion this evening. Um, we really appreciate you being on our podcast to talk about um, this this problem that we're having, and hopefully that um, will soon come to an end. And while we are still alive to see, yeah, to see it happen. Um, but if not, we hope that you know it resonates with a lot of people in a way that it never touched them before, and help them to move and to educate themselves. So that we can be able to rise as a as a as a nation and as a world, and I just want to say thank you to both of you all for coming and sharing of your experiences um, on our podcast. You know, we we talk about it on the regular, so it's yeah. nice to have a, a third person to come in. Yeah, and like um, 
personally, um, when me and Veronica were trying to talk about this, I like I initially didn't want to do it. I'm like, I, I don't think I can do like I didn't have the courage to do it. But when I, but when, but when we came up with the, like, you know what, can we have ginger on it? It like, it gave me like, seriously, I'm, I'm telling you this, it gave me like this, some sort of like, it made me breathe a little bit easier. Cause then I was like, I felt like I didn't, ha I didn't have the world on my shoulders. Mm -hmm. So if people that are listening to this can feel the same way that they don't have to tackle this by themselves, mm -hmm. I think, you know, we 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 have we have done something something great for for the world how matter yeah. how matter small it might be so thank you ginger for oh, you're welcome. for coming and for 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 helping me be brave um cuz i i wasn't i wasn't ready to 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 talk all about this cuz it's like scraping the wounds here again and you know exposing it to the world all like all the nasty stuff yeah you know I mean? no i mean okay so the book title that i was referring to earlier is all the women are white all of the blacks are men but some of us are brave so here we are being brave and yeah thank you so much for having me on it gave me a purpose um to channel all of my thoughts and <laughs> everything i had been reading and all the information i had been consuming um into one space and I, I feel like this has been a productive conversation but anyone listening if you want to be in solidarity please 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 join a social organization that works on these things and you can take action and channel those emotions into something productive uh asian americans advancing justice asians for black lives black lives matter um whatever your organization might be um find a way to channel your emotions into something positive. Um, and, and I encourage everybody to join the good fight because that's um, the best way for us to move forward is to do it together. Yes. And let the church say, amen. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, we again say thank you and that you have a wonderful evening. And Ginger, come samida. Jamaneo, yeah. She is so cute. I didn't know she was Korean. <laughs> and then also, you know, anytime you want to talk about Beyonce, we can have an entire podcast dedicated to that. <laughs> sure. I'm just saying, you know, we can do it oh. on the anniversary of the homecoming. <laughs> um, <laughs> you just tell me when, girl. Just tell me. I I would love, so we, we did do, um, Deshaun and I did do an episode on squeezing lemons about, um, was it about homecoming? It was, I think it was specifically about homecoming. So there's, I could talk about Beyonce for days also. So anytime. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Oh, oh, do you have anything else coming up that you want to tell the people about? I do have a new pod launching, but um, the deets aren't, worked out yet so once i have an actual everything platform and um stuff i can point you to i will let you know um and is yeah. there anywhere that people can follow you well you could check out the squeeze and lemons podcast which is on all the platforms and um we haven't done it up in a while but yeah this will be cross-posted there <laughs> and uh and any announcements for my new pod will be um on there also and then um, you can follow my Instagram. Sure, why not? It's gingerella xoxo, exactly how it sounds. Um, so that's my personal account. 
Uh, you can find me there doing crazy stuff and reposting all the things that come across my radar that I think everyone should get involved in it. <laughs> That's what's up. So go go follow our friend Ginger. Ginger. See her in the sky because it's amazing. Like her, like her and her, like you know. At her best. Yes, but don't be going on her page posting no bullshit because we'll come after you. Okay? Yes. So. Thank yes. you. All right. <laughs> on that note, we love to say good night, farewell, be safe, wash your hands, wear a mask. Until then, good night. Good night. We hope you enjoyed our show. Follow us on Instagram at Vulgar Geniuses Book Club. Our theme song was produced by Sean Kantrowitz. Follow him on Instagram and Twitter at Sean Dammit. That's spelled S-E-A-N-D-A-M-M-I-T. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe to our podcast on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. See you next time. Deuces.